Hello and welcome to Handles Bank and Insights. I'm Daniel Marnie. On this week's episode, we're going to look at the global macro forecast published by Handles Bank last week. We're going to take a review of last week's interest rate decision and conclude looking at the buy-to-let market and what's going on there. And I'm delighted to be joined, as usual, by James Sproul, Handles Bank and UK's Chief Economist. So James, let's start with the global macro forecast that Handles Bank and published last week. That's something obviously that we do the UK side of. Can you just outline what the forecast is showing? I think our forecast is is sort of one of um, we're avoiding recession, but we're we're still looking for some pretty anemic growth, and that's really across across the piece. So what we've we've seen so far is that we are looking for interest rates to have peaked both here in the the UK, but also looking for interest rates to have peaked in the eurozone, interest rates to have peaked in the US, and a loosening coming up in the middle of 2024. Now, that will obviously be dependent upon the data that we we see over the next uh, few months. But for the moment, that seems to be the the general prognosis. We are looking, as I say, for for economics to be pretty slow across the board, although uh, in most cases avoiding recession. Obviously, Germany is in recession at the moment, but for for the eurozone as a whole, we're looking for sort of anemic growth as opposed to uh, an outright downturn. Okay, and you mentioned there that rates had peaked, and we'll obviously come back to that when we talk about the interest rate decision. Um, but you also talked about inflation and how the pathway is looking fairly similar here compared to other parts of the EU. We obviously had an inflation number out last week, Wednesday. I think that was better than expected. Can you just outline what's going on there, particularly with the core element? People were expecting the inflation number could come through with a 7 in it. Um, in fact, it went from 6.8 to 6.7. So that, that was a bit better than people had been anticipating. And that really flooded the market. And the, what the market had been expecting for some time, as far as interest rates go, is that we would get a 25 basis point rise in the UK to 5.5%, and that people would then stop and in fact, the markets have been thinking pretty recently that five and a half was unlikely to be the ceiling. Um, that's what our forecast had been, but that, in fact, rates could go higher than that. In the event, what we saw with those inflation figures coming through was uh, a bit less pressure on the Bank of England to act. And, in fact, they didn't act. They said five and a quarter. We are now looking at that five and a quarter being maintained until uh, probably the middle of next year. And at that point, depending upon what the data says, we can look for some sort of gradual falling away over time. But there's a whole bunch of other things that go along with that. One is what happened with the Purchasing Managers Index, which also came, that came out on Friday. But the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee was given early sight of it. Uh, so they, they were able to, to look at that data before they made their decision. So what we saw with that PMI was uh, that services had, in fact, dipped quite a bit below the 50, which is uh, anything above 50 says the economy is going to expand in the next year. Below 50 says it's, it's going to be shrinking over the next year. It has dipped below 50 in the UK. Now, it's important to remember that the PMI does not include government spending, so it's not the whole economy, um, but it's a significant portion of it. And there's lots of other indicators that come along with it. One of the ones they look at there is also about what's going on with employment. Now, some differing things coming through in all of this. One is that people are scaling back their expectations of the amount of hiring they're going to be doing over the coming year. Now, this is, of course, just an opinion, and this is an opinion about something happening in the future, which is about as uncertain as you can get. The result is, you know, employers saying, I'm probably not planning on hiring quite as many people in the future as I might have been, which is the sort of thing that can change very quickly if circumstances change. So what we're looking at right now is sort of a little bit of nervousness from from lots of business people coming through. I think that's the the real message we're getting through from all of those PMI figures. We also got through the the GFK consumer confidence figures on Friday. They had been minus 25. They moved up to minus 21. Now, looking at the last 
couple of decades or so, minus 10 is the average, so it's, it's not like it's going to go to zero. But uh, we can look at those consumer confidence figures. It's getting slightly better in the UK. There are some questions coming through. The Economist magazine did some, some recent report on just how good are these consumer confidence figures and telling about people what's going in the economy. But at the same time, we do take it for what it's worth just on face value, which is to say consumer confidence improving slightly from where it was beforehand. So I think there's some sort of some better, better news there. Um, but it's still probably not at the level which we can sit there and say we're going to look for any sort of booming economy over the next the next few months. That's not what's in our global markets forecast. It's not what the Bank of England's looking for, given their inflation rate, what they've done with interest rates and um, inflation. But it's not looking like it's going to be dire either. Okay, but nonetheless, a lot of things you were saying there suggest that the Bank of England, there was so much pressure on them to increase rates, given that the inflation number had come in below expectations and those PMI numbers were sort of in, indicating contraction. But in the event, the decision was split and actually very finely split, wasn't it? So what was what was behind that split? Well, it's interesting because last time in the August figures, they were split again, but they were split three ways at that point, with one member voting no rise and two members voting 50. And this time they are split five to four in, ter- in terms of uh, holding holding fast, and the four were voting for 25. So the market expectation was 25. There is clearly an expectation that we are, are at or near the top. And now I think we can sit there and say, uh, I would be very surprised to see if we see very much more unless we get some very bad data out over the coming couple of months. But in the uh, November meeting, we are unlikely to see big splits coming through and all that. We are where we are. We've reached the top. We've reached the top both here in, in the UK, but also we saw the Federal Reserve not raising rates. We saw the ECB raising rates, but very clearly saying we have now reached a level that is consistent with, you know, if maintained for a sufficient period of time, is consistent with battling inflation that, that, that the Eurozone is finding. So I think that that same sort of thing, we could see major central banks around the world very much in, in the same frame of mind about where, where they're going to be going next. Yes, and one of those who voted for a 25 basis point increase, Sir John Cunliffe, is obviously leaving the MPC, isn't he? So that could alter the balance potentially on the on the committee. Uh, absolutely. We'll, we'll be interested to see who, who replaces him and uh, you know if there's another inflation hawk uh, coming through or not. Okay, so we may have peaked in this cycle at 5.25%, but obviously the other element of monetary policy was discussed as well, quantitative tightening. Uh, Every year, the MPC has to effectively decide how how much quantitative tightening they're going to pursue, and they made a decision on that, didn't they, at this meeting? Right, so quantitative tightening, of course, just to remind remind everybody, quantitative tightening is when, or quantitative easing is when the Bank of England goes into the markets and buys lots of gilts. In fact, they they bought lots of gilts and a few corporate bonds as well. and in doing so, of course, they, they provide lots of demand for those things, so the price remains high and therefore the yield remains low. And what they've been doing since March of last year, not this year, but so March of 22, is allowing some of those bonds to run off. And since November of this of last year, they've been allowing, uh, they've been doing some active sales as well. So they're reducing that stockpile of debt that they had accumulated. They had accumulated quite a lot. It was around 40% of, of UK's GDP. Um, the Eurozone had, had accumulated about 75% of their GDP, and the, the U.S. is about 38% of their GDP. So around the world, there was a lot of quantitative easing that had gone on. And over the last year, there's been a lot of quantitative tightening. And so both the ECB and the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England have been effectively reducing the stockpile of assets that they hold. And I have to say, congratulations to the central banks, because they've been managing to reduce that stockpile and not upsetting the markets. And I think that's a really key thing. This is something that was... Uh, there was a potential to get this wrong. And, um, you know, credit where it's due, they've not gotten this one wrong. So what have they been doing so far? So they did $80 billion in gilt sales last year, 
and um, they also unloaded $20 billion in corporate bonds. And this year, having gotten rid of the corporate bonds, they're now going to do $100 billion in gilts. So, uh, again, that's a long-term program. And the reason that there's going to be split between um, both those bonds that simply expire and, and the, the proceeds are not reinvested and actually active sales. And um, some people thought they might accelerate those active sales. What they're really doing uh, with the active sales is smoothing the whole process down. And that's a vital part of making sure that there's no upset in the gilt market so that the, the investors can absorb all those extra gilts coming onto the market. So I think there's been a good degree of cooperation and, and, and some, some, frankly, some very good management about what's going on with all of that. One thing the Bank of England thinks is that the um, QT, uh, the opposite of the QE, has been worth about 0.1% on interest rates. My own suspicion has been a little bit higher than that. The longer-term cost of capital has been held down a lot by QE. I think it may, it may well be we find over time that, that 0.1% is an underestimation of the, the total impact. Uh, so, in fact, monetary policy is, is a little bit tighter than they are expecting just because of, of the QT that's ongoing. Okay, James, let's conclude on the property sector, which we typically do in these podcasts. You've been looking at the buy-to-let sector. There's obviously been a bit of a fear that there's been an exodus uh, of landlords from this sector. Is that really happening? Well, the Bank of England did a very useful working paper on um, what's going on in the buy-to-let market. Just to remind ourselves, so if if we look at, say, for instance, the gilt market and what a gilt yields, and of course, if you did buy a gilt, it's it's relatively effortless return on your capital, but there's, there's no risk. And moreover, all you need to do is um, uh, sit back and the interest payments will come to you. So whenever you're looking at property, you have to assume that property gives you a better yield than gilts because property has lots more risk. It has more risk in terms of there may be a void period. It has more risk that you may have difficult tenants. But even still, there's lots of things that say that there's more risk in having a piece of property than having a gilt. Therefore, there should be a premium. What we've seen, of course, in the last few months has been gilts rapidly repricing and property only repricing with a lag. And so we're seeing either rents going up or capital values going down or both. And of course, I think what we have seen, and we've talked about this before, has been falling away in residential property values. Now, turning to the buy-to-let sector, there's been a thought that, well, if you're putting lots of new costs onto uh, landlords, and you're putting in requirements, for instance, the, the, the um, potential elimination of no-fault evictions, restrictions on how quickly rent reviews can come through. All of this says to private landlords, you poss- possibly don't want to be in this market anymore. And what the Bank of England's research has shown is that there has been a little bit of movement away, but probably not as much as people are fearing. And I think that there's all sorts of reasons for this. One is that I think that you've probably seen a little bit of concentration within the the market as as a whole. The data doesn't look at numbers of landlords. It just looks at numbers of properties. And so you could easily see smaller landlords selling it to bigger landlords as part of this. And so there may be some some bigger landlords who are are more adept at dealing, for instance, with environmental concerns or more adept at dealing with what are the legal constraints about, you know, getting your your tenants in and getting the, the, the rent reviews through. The mom and pop, or the, you know, the couple who might have one, two buy-to-let properties, they're likely to be less keen to be in the market than professional landlords who might have 10, 20, 50 properties on their books, and therefore they can afford to employ you know, a handyman pretty much on a f- full-time basis. They can afford to you know, get a lawyer on side who, who deal with all of the, the issues on a regular basis. So it's not quite so onerous on them. So I think there's probably a change to the underlying market. But from a renter's point of view, has there been a huge diminution of, of properties in the market? There's been some, but so far what the, the Bank of England said is looking at says it's containable. 
Okay, so that sounds reassuring that there isn't this mass exodus from the market, although it does sound like there's some shifts in terms of which type of landlords are owning, a bit of a shift towards professional landlords perhaps. But obviously there is another dimension to this, there's the demand side. So are some people being shut out of the housing market and being pushed into the rental sector? Are very high levels of net immigration feeding um, you know, a spike in demand for rental property? The reason why I say this, of course, is because rents are going up quite considerably still. So what, what do you what do you think is behind that? We certainly have seen a, a big spike upwards in rents. And I think that that's a large part of that is about adjusting to those higher guilt rates. Part of it is going to be as a result of falling capital values. And we, we've seen that as well. And we think, as we said for some time, we expect about an 8% peak to trough fall in the, the um, residential valuations. number of things going on within rent as well, which are really important. One is that during the pandemic itself, we saw, of course, a lot of people moving away, for instance, out of London, out of big cities. And now there's a realization that there's probably not going to be quite as much working from home as we might have expected. And the result is that people need to be back into the city centre. So there's been a bit of a pushback. As for people being shut out of the mortgage market, there's not much evidence to see people have sold out of their homes. But what we do see is people finding it difficult to move out of rental property into buying their own place. And that, that of course, is a result of, of those higher rates. Looking at that, the, the higher rates, there is a lot more flexibility in banks than one might um, have expected. And I think this is a very, very good thing. Um, and so if you looked at, you know, what is the cost of 20-year money um, uh, under the old regime, i.e., say, sub 1% on your interest rates, and what is the cost of money today, if you push that 20-year term on your loan out to 30 years, you actually probably aren't seeing very much of an increase in the cost at all. But you now, you now are in the, the position of where you have to actually play the market in so much as when interest rates fall, it is very, very worthwhile shortening up. You know, renegotiating your mortgage rate and in doing so shorten up the, the term of that loan otherwise you're going to be stuck with a very very long long-term loan but that sort of thing shouldn't be beyond the wit of you know the average person in ter- terms of you know watching it for what their their mortgage costs are but there probably does need to be a little bit more active management than there has been in the past but in general looking at the housing market in the uk i still do think we're going to see a, a bit of a falling away so one of the things that's, that's critical about the property market of course is that um in many many cases properties are reasonably unique and you know it's, it's a combination of do you like the house do you like the neighborhood do you like the the, the the views does it match all sorts of different requirements that people have and of course everybody's requirements are slightly different so what is ideal for you might not be ideal for other people so when you do find that ideal property it's awfully difficult to get the timing absolutely right so in many cases of course people just just end up buying the home uh, and realizing that if you're going to be there for, for five to ten years um, it probably is all going to come out all right in the wash anyway Great. Thanks, James, for those insights as always. And if you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate it on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. And you may also want to share this episode on social media. We look forward to you tuning in next Monday. Bye.